Good evening and welcome to this edition of the Richard Urban Show. We're very happy to have Philip Sharp on. He's a pastor and podcaster at Rage of the Age. So um, please go ahead and introduce yourself. And tonight we'll be talking about God in the public square. Hey, Richard, it's a real pleasure to be on your show. I appreciate you having me as a guest uh, today to talk about what to me is a very important subject and I believe should be a very important subject to many other religious people in this nation who, who will hear this podcast or, or in your show. Um, originally, I'm from West Virginia. I understand you're from Harper's Ferry, West Virginia there. Uh, That's right. A little further southwest of you. But uh, I've been all over the place. I, uh, we moved around a lot, and I served in the military for 20 years. I did three tours in Iraq. Um, I retired from the Army 2012. Uh, a few years later, I ended up going into uh, the ministry. Uh, I'm currently the pastor of the Warrenton Church of God in Warrenton, North Carolina. And uh, I'm also the host, as you said, of the Rage of the Age podcast. Okay, great. Wow. That's super. Yeah, I like, I like your podcast. I, I haven't heard all of them, but yeah, I was enjoying like the one with uh, Philip Conley. You were talking about some of the similar topics, like he was talking about, you know, the issues of abortion, sex, race relations, helping the poor, things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, considering uh, one of the things that's come to focus, too, for me is like the whole thing with the so-called, you know, Black Lives Matter, meaning especially not that catchphrase, as I say, but, you know, all the, um, the Marxist and communist agenda and all that. To me, it's pretty clearly a God and no God thing. I mean, have you thought about that? What's your take on that? Uh, well, I definitely believe there's a, well, I would call it a, a Christ and Antichrist type of conflict. Um, that's generally how it ends up breaking down a lot of times. Um, my, my thinking on it is it, it, it's a travesty because it just the term itself, Black Lives Matters. Well, to me, yes, they do. To, to, multitudes of people in this nation, if you was just to, to ask them, do Black Lives Matter, they would tell you yes. But unfortunately, it's become a very convenient political catchphrase that can be pitched as, as a way of uh, uh, fine-tuning people's brains into a certain set of actions without even thinking about it. It's, it's been hijacked. Uh, I believe there is a Marxist element uh, behind uh, the organization. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even call it the Marxism of the original Karl Marx. Th this is a uh, hybrid version. Uh, you know, I've heard some others say like Marxism 2.0. Uh, it's not so much focused on the economics as much as Marx used to, though there is that, you know, equality and goods type of thing. But they're, they're, they, I think they see that their strength is in putting one group of people against another. And that's always been uh, a Marxist approach is you always have to have an enemy for the revolutionary to despise to keep that revolutionary fervor going so that you don't let people start to ask the, those wanting to pull the strings questions as to why they're doing things. Uh, they, it's a divide and conquer classic uh, thing. Uh, there are many who, I believe there are many who are in the movement Black Lives Matter and don't really fully comprehend what's being done. 
and, and that's the travesty. And then, of course, there are those who know exactly what they're doing, and they're unashamedly doing it, but they're hiding behind, it's like all evil does, it always hides behind a faucet of good, you know, you know, we're for that. You know, no one says I'm here for evil and I want to do evil. Follow me. It's just, that's never the pitch for anybody. It's always we're for this good. But right. the thing is, is you have to, you have to probe with the deep question. What are your actual goals? If you are given the power that you want to take, what are you going to do with it? What are the things you advocate for? And when I look at some of the things that are being advocated by Black Lives Matter, with uh, especially like the destruction, well, I say destruction, but they have no regard for the nuclear family. Right. Uh, and uh, so that right there is an immediate uh, red flag to me. Um, the, they, they're flip-flopping the concepts of what racism actually is. And it's basically replacing one legitimate racism for the older one, but this one's okay. And that's not gonna bring healing, it's gonna bring destruction. Uh, there's just a lot going for it that just really has me at odds with it, even though I believe Black Lives Matter. Yeah, well, absolutely. And and I was thinking about, you know, the term cancel culture, like I got this mm -hmm. inspiration, you know, I was reading scripture that the real cancel culture is, you know, Jesus said, you know, if seek, <laughs> lose your life to gain your life. Yeah. Uh, so you cancel yourself in loving others. And then this idea that you cancel other people, i.e., you know, and and it's violent too, is totally yeah. the opposite of God's culture or Jesus' culture, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, uh, the, the the cancel culture is actually a part of the Marxist approach to politics and to life. Uh, you you usurp and co-opt those things you can use, and those you cannot, you just snuff it out and destroy it. And you use it as an example. And if you notice, the approach is always from, they make it look like there's this massive sudden eruption of public outrage, which is not there, but they, they present it in their propaganda to make it look like everyone is just upset with this. And, but like, if you ask around, nobody really cares or is concerned or like, what are you talking about? But they make it look like there's this massive outrage and that's kind of the strategy. Do you really, are you really going to be that one person that's against everybody else who understands what's going on? You know, I mean, it makes you feel isolated. It's meant to intimidate. At best, even if you will not support them, it will at least make you neutral. And that's their goal. So now they have a bunch of people who, even if they don't want that type of uh, power being flexed and that type of changes in our country, you're still not going to oppose them because you're in fear of them canceling you out. It's definitely part of the strategy. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, yeah, I mean, feel free to, by the way, share anything you feel about, you know, that's a very broad topic on the public square. <laughs> but one um, thing I've been thinking about too is like, um, well, I think actually I call it parochialism and Jonathan Edwards, I've come to like, recently read some of his writings and he's talking about this like disinterested benevolence and he was a little up initially i think he was more for the uh fervor that you know became the political movement of the revolutionary war but then he felt that that was getting off track and toward his latter career you know he went a different way more talking about this kind of 
unselfish lifestyle. And, you know, I thought that was really right on. And even now, you know, I feel like parochialism, like I have my own church, you know, so like, hey, I'm good. I have my own church. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and, you know, I'm out in the community. You know, I do ministry and stuff, door-to-door -door ministry. So, you know, I mean, to me, that's like, hey, it's not about my church or your church. It's more about, like, uplifting God and the public interest. Am I making sense, or do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I definitely believe that um, a, a minister or anyone that would, whatever title one wants to use, a uh, bishop, prophet, uh, apostle, uh, you know, whatever they want to claim, but if if you're coming from a Christian perspective and, you, and you're saying this is my church, then you don't understand what you're representing. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. She is his bride, and she is answering to him, waiting for him, and being, keeping herself pure for him. That That's the whole purpose of being a part of the church until you are re reunited with the one you love, which is Jesus Christ. Um, that's, you know, obviously with, with sinful men and, and maybe misled ones who have had bad examples or haven't fully considered what the scripture is teaching about it, uh, may go off on wrong directions and, and pull us in, in, uh, in directions that maybe we shouldn't be in. And as far as being involved in the community, we're, we're a part of the community. And uh, we're in a unique situation here, which is something I've had to wrestle with for myself for years because we're not ruled by a king. We're, we're not ruled by an elite class. It's not a top-down uh, government. So I, I think part of the confusion some Christians may have is, is they're, they're listening to instructions about obey the authorities in the government, and that's true to do. But we don't have a king. How do you obey a king when you don't have one? You don't. You, we, we obey the governments that we have, but in our particular construct, we have a consent, a, a government by the consent of the people. We, we right. are... We are then, the, in this particular system that we are citizens of, we are a direct influence on who rules us. It is not only an option, I think it is a responsibility of a good citizen to then be involved in that system. I mean, think about it. If we could choose who we really want to be leaders, we can't complain when those leaders act the way they do, we're like, oh, well, and, but we don't do nothing about it. it that's mm -hmm. totally derailing from the intent of the construct of the system of government that we have. Um, to, to be involved as a Christian or, or, or whatever uh, category you're in, because of the assumption that you have a religious perspective, you're not allowed to participate in this, in essence, makes you a second-class citizen. And it, in essence, you're being told everyone is a citizen will accept you. You just have to listen to what we tell you. And you, even if it's about your religious faith, you have to listen to what we tell you and, and roll with it. And, and that, that, I mean, as far as from a purely governmental perspective, uh, from even a, a secular philosoph philosophical perspective, mm -hmm. that's just totally not coherent whatsoever. And, and there are many, uh, many justifications 
for Christians to be involved in uh, the yeah. political landscape today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think so. And I, just more referring to like the, uh, I guess it's the di division, like, you know, between so many, there's so many denominations, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, yeah, <laughs> it can well, be is a frustrating. I mean, yes. frustrating in the sense that like, you know, working together on the, in the public arena, I think it could be or can be. Um, yeah, but no question. I mean, you know, it's perfectly clear to me, you know, the establishment, anti-establishment, uh, what do you say, First Amendment about no established religion, it's just that, no established religion, but certainly, you right. know, with the Declaration of Independence, you know, the God is clearly at, at the founding of the nation, and not only that, mm. you know, I think we can logically argue without God, you know, how can you proclaim any rights? Where do they come from? Right. Well, that's definitely, um, our founding fathers understood that. I, I truly believe that. Uh, even the, even the, the deists and those who weren't, you know, that people want to make atheists, even though they weren't, they were just, you, you mean know, like Thomas they, Jefferson, yeah, right? Yeah, they're like, oh, they, they basically want them to be atheists, but it's, no, it, I don't sorry. Believe, I don't believe that was a care, but it, even though, even those, the poster boy children that they put up for like, see, we were a secular nation from the beginning. That's, that's absolute foolishness. And it's, it's, you're believing something about looking at the actual history. They, they, even though they weren't like fully committed Christians in, in any sense of the word, and, and probably lived a total hypocritical life compared to the faith that they had in the back of their head, they still fully believe that the Christian religion was a strong foundation for their country. And it was meant as a means of keeping um, order. Yeah. And well, Jefferson, construct. yeah, I know he had a, a Bible he clipped out to mm -hmm. take, find good um, teach, uh, what do you say? Good teaching. Also, right. interestingly, he attended church in the U.S. Capitol. So sometimes people try to proclaim he's the one with the, you know, his wall separation letter. Uh, sorry, that was like a political letter to comfort some of his, that church there. But in reality, he actually attended church services that at that time were held in the U.S. Capitol. That's really interesting. Yes. Well, and that letter you're referring to really does not support the conclusion that the letter's used for. If you read the whole context of it, he's, he's writing to, to another minister about the fact that the government has no right to tell churches how to do their doctrine and be the church. So it, it actually supports the intention of the original First Amendment. The, 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 you have to understand where we came from in that point in time in history just before we became United States of America and we were colonists of, of the crown of England, the only church that was recognized was the church of England. It was the right. official church of the entire British empire at that time. Now you had others, you know, uh, separatist churches, they would call them that were here and there. But the thing is, is even if you attended those churches by law, you had to still give your tithe to the church of England. You still had to support the church of England and the government, favored only their special church. Uh, the Church of England, in my opinion, and it has, you know, of course, evolved into the Episcopalian Church here. has right. always been a political church. It has always been used by politicians to kind of advance whatever and support the, the powers that be on a particular thing. And that's what they were talking about when they, when they're speaking about separation church and state. They're talking about 
the state, like our new nation cannot say the Presbyterian church is the official church. It exactly. can't say that the Baptist church is the official church of this country. All others, you're like, you're strap hangers, but you know what? There's only one true official church of this country and it's this one. And that's what it means. Exactly. It, by, yeah. And by no means does it say, um, therefore, churches cannot participate in political activity. <laughs> that's absolutely not the case yeah. whatsoever. And, and this trend of, you know, even with the recent rulings where some of the supposedly conservative justices went kind of, well, in my opinion, rogue, you know, I think it was the Title Seven <laughs> ruling. You know, where they were saying, you know, now, um, get, correct me if I'm wrong in the title, but Title Seven, where they're saying now, you know, it's not just sex discrimination because of sex or race, but we added gender. That's like, um, wow, I think that's going to impose a lot of, uh, that's going to really mess with religious freedom. This, I think that's going to be really uh, problematic. You know what I'm saying? A lot of it is problematic. And what, and what's being done is, and this is intentional, you have, they're, they're taking a, um, a judicial dilemmas, which right overrides the other one, basically. And of course, they're going to emphasize the protecting of discrimination one, as opposed to the right of religion and free speech. And they've, of course, have been using this uh, time and time again as a means to try to silence uh, opposition. Um, classic move that this isn't nothing new um it's been put to actually good effect there's cases in canada where people have been fined you know tens of thousands of dollars just for making tweet comments about you know they believe in marriage between one man and one woman they're ministers and they're just yeah that's very concerning their, yeah and we're, so that yeah yeah i agree they're, they're and making, we're moving i mean that's since i think probably especially since 2008 when they had the proposition eight in california and I remember, you know, like that guy, the guy who, sorry, I don't remember his name. He was, he's the founder of, you know, Mozilla, Firefox, whatever. So he, they found, you know, they found that he donated a thousand bucks to Prop 8. And that guy was like fired immediately by his board. And I thought, this is insane. You know, and he's, he was no question about his competence of his job. Just, hey, how dare you donate to Prop 8? Goodbye. I mean, that was kind of the recent beginning of this whole slide, I think. More yeah. recent, you know. Yeah, well, and, and it's escalated. I mean, of course, you've heard of um, what is it, Michelin Tire, with uh, you know, the the thing, the the garments you can wear supporting, you know, Black Lives Matter, but you can't wear like All Lives Matter or anything Trump well, related. Good, good year, police. you mean? Good year. Oh, good year. Yeah. I'm sorry. Good year. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I did hear about that. I, I, it's it's the same thing. And 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 how many? I can imagine how many people have been fired in that company because of something like that. And, and that's what we're facing here. This is if, and I, it's, this isn't just for Christian people. It's for anyone who values just liberty, period, that you can go to work and not get fired because someone saw what you posted on Facebook or because you went to church and, you know, it was broadcast live and the minister talked about, you know, the sanctity of marriage and you didn't take it well. So now, you know, you get fired. You know, somebody fires you over it or whatever. It, this is the kind of stuff that we're looking at. It, it doesn't appear threatening because it's an isolated case here and there. But if you've looked over the years, it has picked up speed. And it's not just at 
the, you know, the, it's easy to pick on the Christians, right? But this, this has gone beyond that. This is just, if you have a contrary opinion and somebody's outraged enough, they can literally just ruin your life. And that's not the America I grew up in. That is not the uh, kind of America I want to leave to my children. No, it's really, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, this whole idea that you just, well, it is communist. I mean, really that you destroy your opponent, you know, I mean, and it is, it is godless. I mean, so I hope, I think people are see will see through that. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but um, yeah. And, and the, you know, the media bias for most of the media, I mean, <laughs> even after three minutes of watching the so-called mainstream news, I like one American news. They're pretty good. But other than that, you know, I, I watch that, you know, wow. So, so lopsided. Yeah, it's lopsided as you're being kind. It's it's just straight up. I mean, they're giving Pravda a run for their money back in the Soviet era. It's just straight up propaganda. I mean, I don't... I have no idea, like, if they're being, uh, if journalists are just, like, working against their will to produce the news they're told to produce, or if everyone's on board with it. But either way, it's like, at some point, anyone intelligent in that industry right now has got to be wrestling with themselves. Like, how long do I keep going on with this? Because we're not even trying to present what's going on out there. It's just straight up attack, destroy, ignore this over here, you know, paint this one picture, bad, bad, bad. And over here, oh, nothing, nothing to see here. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's going on. Yeah. It's hard to see. You could reconcile your conscience. I guess you're right. A lot of people probably are struggling. I mean, yes. probably from a lot of people, it's just a job, but I wouldn't do it. If, no matter what you pay me, I wouldn't want to violate my conscience. You know what I mean? I know there's been, there's been some big name, um, journalists who have left these organizations because they've just had enough and you know they, they've they've gone on record of what's taking place and what what's being done and it's not journalism um some of it is politically motivated and a lot of it honestly is motivated by greed they they know that if they what they're doing now is driving up the ratings and they can care less how many cities burn when they do it and, and that's the sad reality yeah well, you when you said that, remind me. There, were, I remember recently there was that uh, New York Times columnist who was. I mean, I don't usually read New York Times, but I did see that <laughs> yeah. she quit and it, it made some splash. I'm trying, oh, sorry, yeah. I don't remember her name. Maybe she yeah, was known for like she was um, maybe. I think she was a liberal, but in not necessarily a bad sense, Jewish lady. But she was right. just saying, "I mm. cannot work here anymore." I've been, right. you know, cancel, whatever, 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 goodbye, you know, or that kind of thing. So it caused some stir, but you're right. That kind of thing has just become rampant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> rampant. It's off the charts. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's not, you know, shame. They're ain't trying to hide it anymore. I mean, you know, a few decades ago, they would try to uh, at least try to appear to look, you know, <laughs> balanced and investigative, but now it's just, they've taken off the gloves. They've taken off the mask. They're like, here I am, so what? And it's like just unashamed. So do you think right. like, you know, we're moving toward the election? I mean, I would like to think that most people aren't going to fall for this. Or what do you think? Well, I, <laughs> I know. it's hard. As, uh, human beings are hard. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. All I know is, is 
in my circles, and it's not like I have a million friends or anything, but in my circles, no one's falling for this. Um, I've, this has been a strange year. I'll put it this, this way. I've been shocked by this year because I have ran into numerous black people who have left the democratic party because of the stuff going on. Mm. And, and it's not just because this just started, but over the years, they've just, they've pieced everything together. And it's like, they really don't care about us. They, they really, and they don't. And, right. and they've become, a lot of them become conservatives. What well, the thing is, I believe what happened is, is they realized they were conservatives all along. And they realized that the democratic party really does not represent who they are or what they want. And the only thing that has kept them in line is that fear factor of if you vote Republican, the racist will win and they'll use their extreme white power to keep you down sort of uh, argument. And of course, if you're afraid of that, you, you it kind of keeps you in line. But the, 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 the lines between the races, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this be me, but it looks like you've been alive at least as long as I have, if not a little more, right? <laughs> Probably I mean, so. You, you know, you, you right. and I, you and I have grown up and seen what actual racism is and how ugly it was and how the races absolutely had a great hatred for each other a few decades ago. I don't see that now. No, and, I agree and I've with been you. North, South, East, West. It, I've seen more, harmony i see more mixed couples i, I see yeah there's a lot more, more interracial marriage i think that's an important uh -huh. part of M more more inter more interaction uh, um it's not as prominent in in some churches but churches now are like different you know blacks and whites are now more comfortable worshiping with each other these yeah. are things that a few decades ago were just <laughs> A rare exception and something no, if you were told them that we would be here, people would have said no way. It, it wasn't going to happen. But here we are. And I think that's spilling into the political realm where being divided by a color to have to be in a political party mm -hmm. is not having the hold it once had on people. And I, so like this year, I've, I've seen that. I've seen just tons of videos and articles of black conservatives just like, I want to say like they came out of the woodwork, but they've been there the whole time, but they've just been animated of everything they've seen. And they, they know a lot is at stake in this election. Right. And, and, and then when I think, I mean, there's been gays leaving the Democratic Party, which baffles my mind, because in my mind, that's your best ally, but that's how bad the Democratic Party has become to where even they feel they cannot be in the Democratic Party. Yeah, like, it's hard to reconcile things like that. I mean, yeah, I don't think, like, uh, you know, as mentioned in my podcast, it's like necessarily a left-right thing. I think, you know, we need more, um, like, God-centered viewpoint mm -hmm. or philosophy, but... Nonetheless, yeah, things like abortion up to a lot, uh, you know, a term, it's very hard to reconcile that with a God-centered viewpoint, in my opinion. Well, it is. Um, and, <laughs> of course, I mean, this can go in a million directions theology-wise, but uh, to me, for a, a very basic, simple Christian understanding, I cannot comprehend how anyone can say that by their Christian faith they're for abortion. It just doesn't set well with me. 
Uh, and then when we see where it goes to, like you say, late term abortions, but even where you have advocates, like even after the child's born, wow, just kill it. And it's like who, but see, that started small. The, these things that we're seeing, like two or three decades ago, we would have never dreamed of, yeah, just kill the kid, you know, <laughs> when it comes out or just, uh, or, or the, uh, the homosexual lifestyle just being so rampant as it, no one dreamed of this stuff was going to happen, but here it is. It, it's, so when you hear warnings now about we're opening door for polygamy, we're opening the door for pedophilia, mm. we're opening the door for infanticide. Now it don't seem like, well, no, that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. But you know what? Two or three decades ago, that's what they were saying about now. And I'm telling you, if we don't get ahead a of the moral compass and wake up at least the Christians in this nation about the moral decay that is here, and you're like, well, that ain't going to happen. I'm telling you, if we don't come to terms with it, it's going to be here. And we're going to be just as shocked now or then as we are now about a lot of things. Yeah, I agree. One thing I wanted to like maybe put out there and well get your opinion so i think one thing is like there's um how'd you put it so you know i mean unification is like our church was founded by reverend moon so but you know i could you know i consider that christian <laughs> i know some pastors might have other viewers but in any case put that aside so uh, what i'm getting at is like it seems like a lot of the theology of the second advent i think the uh, theology of the second advent should really be or of these days whatever you want to call them last days whatever should be based on god's original idea of creation i think that's something i think jonathan edwards talked about uh, some too in other words what does it say in genesis you know like just one way be fruitful multiply mm -hmm. have dominion so right. we see i think the the issue of the age really is like breakdown of the family that so many you know births occur outside of marriage or so many and even the homosexuality issue that's a corollary of that because of course that's not a godly family sorry <laughs> no offense anyone or take offense but it is what it is but i guess what i'm getting at so the traditional christian theology and you correct me if I'm wrong because you're a pastor is you know we focus on the crucifixion death and resurrection of jesus i'm not saying it didn't occur that's wrong but it seems like we need more focus on the theology from Genesis in the last days because that's what God's going to try to bring about is like united families centered on God. Am I making any sense or maybe I'm rambling too much? But it's something <laughs> to kind of think about, Yeah, I think. Well, I, I believe there is an element to what you're saying about um, a reconciliation of God restoring uh, creation. Uh, but I, I think we have to understand the 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 reconstruction of, of of creation if you will is going to be a new heaven and a new earth it's not going to be like the one prior that we had fallen from mm -hmm. so it's not like we're working to restore it back to uh, the garden of eden type setting we're moving forward to something totally new with what god's creating this is what we what we see in in revelation but don't, you don't think like earth. in genesis like I mean, I take Genesis one twenty eight to mean like we should have, you know, godly families, like be fruitful, multiply, yes. have dominion. So Absolutely. since God said that even before Adam fell and, mm -hmm. you know, obviously before Jesus came, 
then wouldn't he still want to do that? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, it's definitely not like the principal died and went away but because we, we are obviously inheritors of that original tension for this earth that we have. Uh, it definitely has its place. Uh, uh, as far as like uh, theologically, a, as you're speaking, to me, that's not like the focus mm -hmm. of specific living for a Christian. To me, that would be a natural result and byproduct of being faithful in Christ. If you if you are Christ and you love Him and he, you know He's with you, that you're going to want to be in accordance with what His wishes are, and to you know have good and sound families and to be, mm -hmm. you know, good citizens, good people, whatever. Uh, all the ails that we have, if we focus just on like just that thing and say we need to fix that, I mean, yes, uh, but to me, if I may. Be accused of being simple-minded it all first starts in jesus christ mm -hmm. yeah well that's right i mean in a sense <laughs> we could right, go off on a somewhat of yeah. not really a tangent but right. <laughs> so you know for instance if jesus would have had a family i know that's maybe anyway then he would have had a lineage i guess it goes back in in the you know my understanding and you know the teachings i studied like from reverend that you know, we got onto a lineage, meaning like it had to do with like what you could say, misused sex or bad sex. So then, you know, John eight forty four, you are of your father the devil. That's a problem. Devil's not supposed to be your father. God's supposed to be your father. So how do we get back on the track? So then, in my mind, an understanding marriage is like a sacrament. And what we call it in the unification, we were like blessed marriage, where we get back onto the, how do you say, track. Or when I say track, I mean lineage of God versus Satan. So to me, that's a big thing, you know. So maybe yeah. you can get an inkling of where I'm coming from. But anyway. Well, I definitely agree that marriage is a sacrament. It's something sacred. And it's meant to be treated as something sacred. Another word that's used for, it's not a common word now, but it emphasizes how God views it is marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. And a covenant is not just an agreement or a contract. A covenant is a relationship that's based on loyalty and it's meant to be binding for like ever. A covenant between you and I. It's like yes. our covenant with God. You want it to be eternal. You want it mm -hmm. to be where you don't, God don't walk away from you. You, you want that security. And that's what marriage is also meant to be as a covenant. Uh, even if, even if someone doesn't like the religious backing towards marriage, I think most who are not can understand that a good sound family is a good solid foundation for your community, for your nation, um, just the statistics and the studies alone about, you know, the disadvantage that children have in, in homes without fathers versus those who have fathers. Exactly. The numbers are huge. I mean, you can be like, well, I don't like your, your Christian view of marriage. Okay. Do you like math? Because look at it with dad, without dad. Nuclear right. family, not nuclear family. Which one's better? It the numbers speak for themselves. To True. want to rip the the carpet from under that is just foolishness. There is a stability between a man and a woman 
and the children that they have. Yeah, very true, very true. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, those kind of things, like your guest, um, I guess it was, I don't know if it was a pastor, I guess, Conley. Uh, yeah, Conley, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, he was mentioning those things, like I, I wrote them down, you know, he said a big issues, I guess maybe he was saying for Christians, I think for anybody, you know, right. abortion, right. sex, race relations, and he mm -hmm. said helping the poor. Right. But in my mind, they all have some relationship to sex because, of course, abortion does. And then even helping the poor, we often say, you know, and you were just saying, like, if you have birth out of wedlock, it's quite clear your kids are much more likely to be poor. That's right. So, you know, they're all related to that. Well, there's definitely a relation in all that. Um, uh, to, to me, again, being simple-minded as I am, the relation is sin, period. Sin mm -hmm. wrecks civilizations, families, lives both corporately and individually. And uh, we, we, we see these little, we, we have the ability to look at symptoms and go, ooh, that's, this is bad, this is bad. But the core root of it is, is the sin that, that's in human beings instinctively. And, and that's what Christ came to come back to take care of. Yeah. Um, well, check, and, maybe check if you have in my video on the blog on um, fall of man, absence of fall of man. Because we talk a little bit more about yeah. that. You might be, that might be interesting to you as a pastor. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, we covered a lot of different things. Um, just, yeah, the, I mean, the mic's still open. Anything else you'd, you know, maybe like to share about, you know, God in the public square, the current situation, what's coming I, I, up with elections, whatever you want to share, yeah. feel free. Well, I, I definitely do. The, the, the thing that really resonates with me, and it's because I have wrestled with this myself for many years is, the church at large, and, and by this, I mean, I'll say the conservative church, because liberal churches have no trouble being politically active, even though they condemn conservative churches for being active. So we have been conditioned for years to not be involved in politics. But I want you to know where that came from, the enemies of Christ and the church. They don't want you involved with politics for good reason. You may sway the way things go. So they're constant. They're, it's, you can't be involved, Paul. You can't be. And I'm thinking, well, well, now I'm thinking, why not? But I bought that for a while and, and I spiritualized it, whatnot. But when, when I look through the scripture and, and I look at like, I guess we could say the spiritual heavyweights, if you will, uh, of, the, of the Bible, a lot of them were politically active. And they were calling out things that now we would say, well, that's political. You can't talk about that. I mean, when you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, a lot of times they were talking about you made the wrong alliance with these people. That's that's political, right? right? You're 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 selling off the poor for a pair of sandals, and you're you're cheating and robbing people. That's political statements because it's obviously you're going to get be against the powerful people doing this, right? Right. They they call out uh, all the shenanigans of different. They're like going to the king. You're wrong. You're doing this, and and it's like that's a political statement. When you go to the political head of whatever sovereign nation and you call them out on something, you right. just made a political move. And that's the prophets of old. When I look at the New Testament, you have John the Baptist, who's, right. who's uh, telling the, the, the King Herod that it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. That's a political statement. Right? He lost his head over certain things like this. And right. he's out there preaching at his place. And, and, what 
are you going to tell me that he and all the prophets were wrong? Probably not. When I look at the apostle Paul, he exercised his right as a Roman citizen. He even made a jailer come to him and personally escort him out when he's trying to get out of it when he found out Paul was a Roman citizen. He's like, no, you misabused my rights. You come here personally and you escort me out. I mean, I don't have enough guts to say, you know, the apostle Paul, I think you're messed up. I just, <laughs> I just you know, I right. think he was a very godly man. I think he, he knew he was calling somebody to account for the position of the authority that God had given them. Right. And when you just look at all these different things through the scripture and it's like, you know what, we're justified if we have a political voice, especially if we're speaking from our God-given conscience. And if we want to look at the history of the nation, let's say Christians accepted that bogus statement of, well, you can't be involved with politics because you're a Christian. And that means the original Congress would not have voted federal money to print Bibles to use in schools for education. That wouldn't have happened. Not a lot of people understand that did happen, but there you go. That happened. That's how they viewed religion when they formed this religious uh, country, right? Let's right. take the slave trade, okay? When the abolitionists were calling for the end of slavery, which eventually led to our civil war, would you tell them, oh, you can't be involved in politics? Keep the slavery as it is. I mean, I, no. I can't see going back and saying, hey, you need to stop being involved in politics. Well, we want the slave trade ended. Yeah, but that's political. Yeah, You just stick with church stuff, right? When, when the primary impetus of the abolitionist movement was people of faith who were leading. No, I agree. Thing. Yeah, and George Barna said, you know, the pollster, Christian pollster, in his book, um, I reviewed it on my website, visionroot.org. It's called The Day Christian Changed America about the 2016 election. Mm. He calls them sage cons, spiritually aware, <laughs> governance engaged Christians. He says that although nominally, you know, whatever, 67% of Americans are Christian. He said that's a much smaller but extremely active group who did overwhelmingly vote for President Trump. And that's like 10%. And in his analysis, that's very very much have put president trump over as far as winning so but i agree totally you know of course we have to be engaged in in the public sphere absolutely yeah because in the end and, and i asked this question in regard to my podcast you know should christians be involved in politics and and one lady gave a really good response and she said well of course we should who's going to do it if we don't get involved <laughs> i'm like very good point yeah. You can't complain because of our unique blessedness in what we have in being able to be involved in our own governance. If we leave it to evil, godless people, it's our fault if we were able to stop it. That's right. True. Very true. Yeah. So God in the public square. Well, I, I thank you for joining us today. I mean, I, I think it's a, a, an important discussion. And to, you know, point out and, of course, make aware, you know, those misconceptions like about the First Amendment. It's really, you know, as much about it is about protecting religion and free speech and um, not, you know, not about restricting it at all. That's not the intent at all. No, no. So, if, if you if you look at the First Amendment, uh, the. the Consider it in its entirety, because we usually you hear First Amendment, somebody will think free speech. You hear First Amendment, somebody will think 
um, you know, religion. You hear free speech, someone might say, uh, you know, peaceful assembly or, you know, burn down cities, whichever, however you want to interpret <laughs> these things. But notice those three were the first set of rights in one, in one article, mm-hmm. the, the, the First Amendment, or not an article, the very first amendment to it contained all three of those together. And the reason is, is because it allows the church to operate in its fullness. No, no prohibition against religion, which means the church can thrive and exist, right? Peaceful assembly. If you take away, and we're seeing that now, you take away peaceful assembly, right. you're inhibiting the church to come together as the church. A church comes from words, not just about the building, but also that you're assembling together, right? And, and the thing of that's peaceful assembly and then freedom of speech is what good is it if we can gather and have a church in name only, but we then can't express what we should express as a church. All three of those are intertwined and necessary for the good flourishing of good Christian religion. And I believe they understood that back in the day when they wrote it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that, and you know, we do need a movement of godly families. Well, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on today. Perhaps we'll continue this discussion. And and for the viewers, you know, the, the Rage of the Age is a, a very good podcast. I recommend it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> check it out. So, yeah. I mean, and yeah. So thank you. Thank you again for uh, the time and uh, coming on today. I appreciate you having me on today. It was, a, it was an honor. Okay. So I'm your host, Richard Urban. I'm coming to Historic Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. Uh, do be blessed. Tonight, tonight, we've been talking about this afternoon. God in the Public Square with our our guest, Philip Sharp. Rage of the Age is his podcast, so I'm sure you'll find that and check it out. And do be blessed, and we will see you next time.